Welcome to this week's edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. My name is Michael Bailey, The Athletic's Norwich City correspondent, and I hope you and your loved ones are as safe and well as possible. Who knows where we will be with the football season come next week, but the good news is you can feed your football fix right now over at The Athletic with a few Norwich City stories. My feature catching up with eight of Norwich City's 2013 FA Youth Cup winners. My exclusive interview with Loans manager Neil Adams on the logistics and challenges of the current football suspension and 22 individual report cards from yours truly, one for each of Norwich's current squad loaned out this season, reviewing how they did and what may be to come. If you want to read any of those, the good news is you can enjoy The Athletic for free for 90 days. That's three months by going to theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod. Now, Adam Drury was our Canaries chain gang member last week. Make sure you give that a listen if you haven't already, because he doesn't do many of those podcasts and it was great fun. Uh, As for this week, the treat is an exclusive listen to my interview with Dean Ashton. It took place on his sofa in his Norfolk home about a day before my household had to self-isolate and all of football in England was suspended. I loved recording this. I hope you enjoy it too. Uh, We will return with another edition of the On The Ball podcast next week. Until then, enjoy me indeed. And Bentley has bent it in. And Norwich have the lead! Dean Ashton! How's about that? You can't tell the bottom from the top! Dean Ashton, thank you for letting me in your house. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you here. Would you say you've got any best mates um, from your time playing in in terms of football? Did it work like that with any of your teammates? Um, I would probably say I haven't got best, best mates. I think they're the people I went to school with and that I keep in touch with. I'm still very, very good friends with um, some players that I came through the system with at Crew, or once I got into the first team at Crew still good friends with them but as in best friends I um I'm not sure I ever did because I I'd never particularly socialized too much outside outside of the training ground and I was always quite a laid-back quiet person anyway within the dressing room so I never quite got involved in a lot of what else went on or the banter as such (laughs) I used to love listening to it and 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 would obviously get hammered myself by phlegm and hooks and people like that but I was never sort of one that was really in with the crowd and I suppose deep underlying was that real seriousness about how much I love playing and wanted to achieve and that would override anything else in terms and obviously especially with Norwich and, and being there for a year, you realise quickly you make friends, but how quickly that suddenly changes. Mm. And and so it's quite hard then to be to be really close with people. Can you remember something especially harsh that anyone said in terms of banter? I always w- wonder about banter because, I mean, in my you know short Sunday league uh, yeah, career, yeah. there'd be things that they'd play on your mind. But I, I, I know, from, you know, I can tell and I know that professional football is a very yeah. different beast and dealing with... With players, they can be quite brutal. I think you would have to say something incredibly, incredibly personal regarding my family for me to ever even react to any sort of, um, you know, sort of banter as we call it or taking the mick. And 
because I'm just I am very thick skinned I find it hilarious myself so if someone you know was to take the mickey out of an attribute that I was poor at whether it be the stiffest man in the world or the unfittest 21 year old ever to play Premier League football or my hair or whatever I just find it hilarious so and and you know I'd like to think that generally you're getting picked on or or, or laughed about because it's almost a sign of endearment and I think that most of the players are looking for you to to react and maybe because I didn't and I, I probably didn't get as much as some of the players that were so easy to wind up. I interviewed Robert Green a few uh, months ago. He did keep slinging stuff at you. Did he? He was talking about, you know, your shot was the hardest he'd ever faced and then made some joke about having a lot of weight behind it and <laughs> things like this. And he wanted you to know that. And, and so he, he was quite up for having a digs. But you, you obviously spent a fair amount of time with... With Rob, I can imagine you two getting on. Yeah, it's funny because obviously I think I think Greeny is is a unique character, especially in the football world, because he's super intelligent and he's not willing to conform just for the sake of fitting in with everyone or or doing things that all the other players are doing or buying the same things or getting tattoos or all these fads that players do that even I got caught up with. He's which, just which, or which, which well, fads? Tat- you know, I've got a sleeve of because I was bored and other players were getting it. I thought, yeah, that looks good. I'll have I'll have some of that. Or I, I'd always go out and buy a really nice car, green. He, he just wasn't he wasn't bothered about that. And some players didn't know how to take him. Whereas actually, actually I saw the other side and obviously uh, of, of Greeny and, and that intelligent side and he could have a laugh. Um, uh, and, and so I think that's why we got on because we did have, again, he had that underlying sense of, of um, ambition and professionalism and, um, you know, doing the right things. Um, and, and I think I sort of got that as well. Um, and so I think that's probably why why we probably did get on. And obviously then being at West Ham and with England as well, he was he was quite a bit of a constant person um, around, my, around my career. Do you still speak to him much? I, I don't speak to him very often, but obviously like with everybody in football that you come across is is that you won't speak to many of them but then if you see them it's like you've you've not been apart and you can have a laugh and you can reminisce and there's nothing better actually than seeing old players and reminiscing on on sort of good times and funny times and and greeny would be no different if i saw him tomorrow we'd have a laugh i'd remind him of the night that i saw him in a nightclub with a with a rain mac over his head on the dance floor, that was always. But was he just standing was ta- there? Or oh was no, he, he was, da- he was, he was dancing. dancing. Yeah, but he had what? a. Re- but this, this is what he was, was like. It raining men? No, <laughs> <laughs> might have been. But he, um, no, he, um, he. But he would do odd things like that, and players just didn't know how to take him. Um, but he was, um, yeah, he, 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 he was certainly someone that I got on well with. I, I found you. You can be. Uh, you can be booked for after dinner speaking. So I was going to I was going to ask now obviously you have to pay money to book Dean Ashton to <laughs> but I was going to ask for your best story but maybe is there, is there one little one you'd you'd, um, you'd share I always felt as if I I love Nigel Worthington I really not only because he bought me but just I, <laughs> I, I really liked him as a bloke I thought the way he 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 um, he handled the team he handled the players was was great the way he joined in during sessions and was happy to 
to let Flem and Hooks and the rest give him as much grief as possible about his nose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> could he? Could he, How was his level? Was it? Was oh yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. And he'd he'd want to he'd want to smash you in training if you were okay. trying to make, take the mick. And he was brilliant, honestly. And he'd he'd get the other coaches involved, and they'd have to join the little. It would always be this little circle. We'd go and we'd do the two laps around the whole of, of Colney. Then we'd all quickly get together in a massive circle, coaches included, and do like a keep ball. And that was just, because I'd never had that crew at all. None of that, you know, Dario was very, very serious and it was about the football, whereas that was suddenly like, you know, we're here to work, but actually we're here to be a group and have a laugh and be lighthearted. And as soon as we finished that, then we'd go into the serious stuff, but he'd join in in that. So if he was in the middle with, with, with Webby or... Or, or Doug or anyone that like that, then obviously the players would be taking the mick, trying to megs him, all that kind of stuff. And he'd be he'd be trying to hammer the players. Um, and him and Hooks had a great relationship. And, you know, Hooks would be constantly saying, look, without me, you'd be out of a job, you know, <laughs> and all this sort of stuff and, and taking the mick out of his nose. And then, you know, he, he, obviously Nigel would bite back. And it, it was just, that was, that was the one thing I, I love the most about being at Norwich and that sort of training at that time. But anyway... When we got to, the longer the season went on, the more the pressure ramped up, the more wired Nige seemed to get before games. And I think that was his, probably his way of letting off steam and, and getting players um, ready for, for what was about to... Every, every game seemed to be massive, which it, it, it felt like that because the points were so vital mm-hmm. to claw our way out and give ourselves a chance. And so... That's 2004-05, obviously. Yes, and, um, and so... It, it started to get to the point where even when you got there, you know, an hour and a half before kickoff, he seemed pretty, pretty pumped already at that point. And players have their own nice little routines. You know, players, some like to get a massage, some like to go out on the pitch, someone like to read the, the programme, have a chat, do whatever the players like to have their own little 45 minutes, I would say, before you then start ramping it up and then looking to go out and warm up. But he was already ready. He was already wired at that point, <laughs> you know, getting the play. And he'd go, uh, he'd, he'd like to go over individually to players and, and sort of sort of G them up. So you'd have, you know, you'd have Thomas Helveg, who's, you know, played in the Champions League. He's got over 100 caps for his country and he just wants to learn a bit of more English and read the programme. And Nigel would be going up to him going, you know, Thomas, 1v1 today, you are not getting beaten. Come on, focus. You know, like, nice, just let him, <laughs> let him read the programme. You know, Flem would look to try and go into the, into trap one, early doors, and, and, and he'd be a Flem, look, captain's performance today, I need you to leave, and, you know, and giving it all that. And then I'd be there just having a nice massage, you know, and he'd come, he used to come over and he used to slap my thigh like my right, used to slap my right thigh and sort of say, that's the one, that's the hammer. That's the one that's going to deal the blow, that's going to hit the back. You know, I'm just trying to relax. Like he was just, and it got, it seemed to ramp up and ramp up as as we got towards the end of the season. But it worked. I, th- I felt like it worked. I felt like we had sort of a real, by the time we got to kickoff, obviously, you know, we were all sort of really, really focused. And I think that's that was something that helped. But I just, I found it hilarious watching him almost, how much he was sort of, getting you know engrossed in the pressure and and, go, and going up to players it was um I, I just that was that was fascinating because again at crew dario would never get in that state <laughs> if we lost the game we lost the game as long as we tried to play the right way he'd be happy whereas that was serious stuff it was trying to stay in the premier league every point matters it was a totally different atmosphere and and uh and and 
you know, he was he sort of encapsulated that. It just is a shame it didn't work on the last uh, day of the season. Well, you see, I wasn't going to even ask you about 2005, but um, I did write a piece all about it. So you can read that on The Athletic mm. um, just after having listened to that, that brilliant anecdote about <laughs> Nigel and picture him getting more and more wound up. Just in terms of your time at, at Norwich, is there anything you can tell me that you've not told anyone about your time at Norwich? Is there any... I don't think I've ever told anyone about the little scrap that Leon McKenzie and Yusuf Safri had. Oh. Because oh. I just had just absolute, watching? absolute ringside seat. <laughs> now, Leon Leon was great because Leon, incredibly, we, we obviously didn't have a clue what was obviously going on in his in, in his mind and the sort of things that that he that he struggled with that he's now talking about and doing great in, again, motivational speaking and talking about mental health you, you I had no idea at the time because he'd just come in and he was him and hooks it was like a battle off of who was the most confident person I'd ever met in my whole life <laughs> and still to this day they're still the two people I think are the most confident people I've ever met uh, but I just Leon used me and him got on so well um, and because he he sort of had everything I didn't have as a player and as a character as well I just I, I, I got on really really well with him but he used to come in and because of his boxing background, which I was really interested in, because I like boxing anyway, and he used to do, he used to work on the uh, on the punch bag, or what's the one that's really fast called? Oh, yeah, speed, speed, speed. He's asking the wrong person. It might be, I don't know. The one where it sort of bag. bounces back. Yeah, 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 exactly. He'd just really do quickly. that with a spring in his step, and he just, he'd just, he looked so good at it, and then he, you know, the, the speed he was doing it at, and I couldn't even do it. <laughs> Hooks tried to do it and, and could do it, but just didn't look as good. Hooks a bit more stiff. His back's a bit stiff, and what have you, and. And uh, he just looked so good. And I used to say, and I used to talk to him about sort of how, you know, what what was it like when you like fighting and, and how do you move and what do you think about and all this. And then him and him and Saf used to have an interesting relationship anyway, because there just seemed to be always be a little bit of niggle between the two. I think they're both quite fiery anyway, especially when it comes to football. And when you're out on the training pitch, Saf would certainly leave leave a leave a foot in because he was just that was that was his nature and he trained the same way he played and Leon did as well he he was aggressive and um I always felt Leon was all arms and big a good presence and would you know so they always and, and Leon would always wind him up because he just knew what to say to push his buttons <laughs> so he constantly wind him up and this I think after training we were sort of I, I was again on the physio bed having a massage which is where you would have found me most of the time, sort of lay on my side. And um, Leon and, and and I think, I, I can't remember what was said, but there was just an altercation in what they were saying, trying to wind each other up and what have you. And then Saf has just lost his head completely. And and I've just, I've just got the perfect view because I'm just lay down all relaxed from the massage and just, I'm, I'm obviously watching them both. And Saf grabs like, it used to be a big pot of, um, gel for, for for doing the massages. He just grabbed this pot of gel and threw it at Leon and attacked him at the same time. And Leon was just like the Matrix. <laughs> it just it, it was as if it was just as if um, it was as if Leon was a was a was a fly and Saf was like this big hand trying to swat it. And he just looked so slow and Leon looked so quick. Leon just literally danced away, clipped him. Didn't 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 obviously properly punch him, but he was just so fast, and just literally danced out the way, clipped him. Saf just went down, and then that was it. That was oh it was all over really quick because 
obviously Saf then realised that all right, I've got angry and I've reacted, but you you don't you can't mess. With, Leon's like trained all his life boxing. His family's boxing. Like, have you not seen him on the speed back? <laughs> and I just I just thought I've just had the perfect wow. view of of probably what you know what boxers are properly like when engaged and how quickly he just diffused the situation with how fast he was. I mean, I, I would like to think uh, with my personality that um, from that point on, they both got on better with each other. Uh, I think they did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I still think they had the, a wind-up, but there was a bit of that in the squad anyway between yeah. players, which is, which I think is what you want. But obviously, and that can spill over, which it does probably in most clubs. But yeah, so I think Saf just picked picked the wrong person to react to. Harry's sponsors On The Ball, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who are sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel, and travel blade cover. That's worth saying at this point. I have got one of these packs, and it is fantastic. I, I do also have a beard, as you'll know, but I do like to trim around it, and I have to say, my neck has never felt so good. As a listener of On The Ball, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash on the ball right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com forward slash on the ball. Could you have ended up moving to Norwich any earlier? Did you ever get any wind of that? No, I didn't, no. No, because the season before I moved to Norwich, I think I did okay without doing anything incredible. And I think there was a few whispers, but nothing again. Dario was coming and saying, you've still not done enough. People aren't interested. Kept, you know, I think that was his tact just to keep, you know, making sure I didn't get ahead of myself. But then it, I think it was just that season, especially the age I was, playing for the England under-21s. I started that season so well. I, th- I was top scorer within a few months. I'd scored, I think, you know, 18 or 19 or something leading up to January. So it was only then that I think there was a lot of clubs interested in, in me, but I hadn't done enough. Probably still a little bit too lazy for them to really put the money down. Um, and the you felt as if the money wasn't thrown around like it is now quite as easily. You felt like you really had to earn, especially earn a move to the Premier League from the Championship. So, yeah, I think that's the reason why more clubs were interested suddenly in the January rather than in the in the previous summer. Did it happen pretty quickly Was in terms of Norwich and did you hear much about it before it happened? So I basically... No, I, I got a phone call at the house from Dario on the Wednesday night just saying, just want to let you know, we've had a bid from Norwich. We've accepted the bid. It's obviously still your choice. I think you should go and and go and speak to Norwich. I think they're a great club, et cetera, et cetera. So you leave tomorrow. <laughs> obviously, I'll leave it to you, but if you want to, 
go down tomorrow and see them. Yeah. So then I left on the Wednesday night, went down Thursday, saw Nigel. On the way down though, um, I was told that Crystal Palace had matched the bid. Once I'd finished at Norwich, if I wanted to then go down to Crystal Palace um, and, and see them, then I, then I could have that option as well. But I think once I got to Norwich, spoke to Nigel, saw the setup, um, and all the things he said, just it just felt felt great to me, and and I just never enjoyed Selhurst Park. So I just <laughs> but I, living I, in London would that not have been a draw? No, because no. I'm I'm country boy as well. Yeah, so London probably scared me a bit at that point because <laughs> you know for the first time to move away from home, it just felt yeah, it just felt right Norwich, and 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 so I didn't actually go. I didn't actually go to Crystal Palace and even speak to them. So I just sort of made that decision. And then I might have played on the Saturday, to be honest. I might have trained on the Friday, played on Saturday. So I got a phone call Wednesday night and left home forever and wow. played Saturday. Were you yeah. still at home? Still living at home at yeah, the time? Yeah, still living you? at home at the time, yeah. Gosh. Yeah, so and you didn't have any hand, nothing, no handle that, it, that Norwich were even interested before Dario's call? Or? No. Had you no. been to Norwich before that? No, I didn't know where it was. Well, no, oh, I had, you sorry, you I played, played I played, yes, but yeah. if you'd have said point on the map where Norwich <laughs> is, then I'd have vaguely put somewhere in the east, but brilliant. Probably <laughs> probably near a Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a nice city too, so you know, it's yeah, all good. Yeah. Do you like being asked about how it ended at Norwich? What's interesting is there's nothing I can say that's going to change people's view on whether I didn't play that game against West Ham in the FA Cup because I was injured. If I say I was definitely injured, everyone's going to go, well, you weren't, were you? Because you knew you were going to move. And if I say, well, I wasn't that injured, and they're going to say, well, I told, I told, I told you you weren't injured. So I don't think that matters in, in, in as such because whatever I say, no one's going to really believe. I was injured because at that point, at that exact point of that game, I, there wasn't a, a firm bid in. I knew they were interested, but there wasn't a bid to say, you know that 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 they that they put a, a club record fee for me to go at that point. So I would have played because I want to. I, I wouldn't would never want to miss a game. But I was injured. Um, it just so happened that then after that game, they then put a bid in, and then I moved. And then obviously, because I'd signed a, a new contract in the summer, um, it, it was then that Norwich. Obviously, it was a great bit of business for them. Um, to sort of more than double their money in a year. They obviously didn't want me to go because they bought me for a reason to score goals and certainly help try and get the club back into the Premier League. Um, so it was in the end, it was probably left to my decision. As long as I wavered certain fees from Norwich that they didn't have to pay me, if I wavered them and then then they were they were happy for me to for me to move because it was a great deal for the club as, as well at the same time and I was just so desperate to play in the Premier League that that I yeah I was willing to sort of push it push it through did you did you feel any angst from this part of the world after it because you, you then came back to live here didn't you and you did bits and pieces here did you do you ever feel anything like that from supporters or? The, odd, the odd thing like like the odd forums and bits I've been to that you, you can tell that's that's always a question that comes up and and sometimes when I'm out and people are drinking stuff that'll be the thing that they that they talk about but I wouldn't change it again because 
as much as I loved my time at Norwich, I'd only been there a year and I'm not one of these players that's like, oh, well, I completely love the club, you know, and, and I wouldn't... No, I was selfish. I wanted to play in the Premier League. I wanted to play at the top clubs. I wanted to win trophies. I wanted to play in the Champions League. I wanted to be an international. And whatever club that took me to, I would do it. I wouldn't... There was no sentiment whatsoever. Whereas I think if you look at someone like Hooks, for example, I think he genuinely has got feelings for the club. That would have been much harder for him to leave. He didn't want to leave when he eventually did. That was different for me. I was a bit younger and it was... Yeah, there was very much a selfishness to to what I wanted to achieve. And sadly, we just didn't stay up that the season before because things might have been different. But um, yeah, we didn't we didn't do that great in the championship that season. On West Ham, I mean, the the fee, did that ever play on your mind? And again, that seems like quite a staple question to ask someone who's moved. From no, because moment. even though I'm quite, quite reserved and quite quiet, and I wouldn't say that I... Um, sort of look for the limelight as such I have got I feel like I've got a huge amount of self-confidence underneath in my ability and how good I was and what I could bring um, and I would always have that self-confidence that I'm I'm better than you whoever it may be the, the other strikers that were there um, and I'm good or if or I'm going to be better than you and I'm going to start and I'm going to so I had that real that real inner confidence. So the fee didn't bother me because I felt like, well, actually, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be great anyway. You know, I feel like I'm good enough, and that if I, as long as I play to my potential, and at that point, I'd really learnt about what I needed to do if I wasn't quite on my game. That that work rate. I said, as long as I've got that, then I know I've got enough ability to show you all that I'm a good player, and that and that you that you're right to sort of pay that money. How do you uh, how do you reflect on the injury things now? Um, I mean, like like I said, it's been it's been so long since it happened. What is it? So I think it's about twelve years. Yeah, maybe longer. Yeah, I mean, t- two thousand and eight is the that. last time I played a game of football. Two thousand and six was when it actually happened. So it's such a long time ago that my my feelings have changed totally. Well, not totally, but my feelings have changed about it, and and you know that my whole lifestyle's changed. So um, I don't look back now and be like down and want to cry and all of that. I'm, you know, I'm fine with it, and it's just very, very unfortunate. Lots of players have unlucky things that happen to them. Um, mine just happened to be at a horrible time, you know, in in sort of peak of my career and stopped me doing the thing I loved. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not, it isn't the end of the world and there's a lot worse things and, you know, so that's that's how you learn to, that's how I learn to cope with it anyway. And like I said, I've, I've got a real good grasp of reality. I never let football take me into a headspace that I think a lot of players let it take them into a world that's not actually real. Yeah, because I mean, we obviously have to talk so much about mental health and players that have gone through really difficult mm. circumstances, and you've you've spoken a bit about that. Um, but it it does seem like you were able to cope with it differently. I don't know if that's yeah. I think a I think, I, think fam- I, I find unit. it quite hard actually to talk because obviously when you when I talk to people, a lot of the time they're they're expecting me to come to come out with this 
dire story of how it took me to the depths of despair and I don't know, you know, some of the addictions that can go with being that low and and issues with your fat, all of that sort of stuff. And I just didn't have any of it at all. So I find it quite hard sometimes then to to, to really have a valor, you know, to, to have a valid opinion on mental health because I've never suffered with it. So obviously that's a good thing from my point of view that I've been able to cope with it and um, you know be, be stay, sort of stay in stay in reality and not let anything like that affect me. But then it's quite hard to to talk about what it's like for people that obviously do suffer with that having um, gone through perhaps less than I had to go through. But everybody's everybody's very different, and so the best things for me to talk about are. are how did it affect me and how did I feel like I coped with it? Well, the best thing for me was to keep a real good grasp on reality. And I always did that anyway as a as a player. I never let, you know, doors constantly being opened for you, you know, things being offered for you, the way people spoke to you, you know, in the street, how sort of hysterical people could be just by meeting you. <laughs> I bet you still get it, don't you? Uh-huh. I bet you still get the it. The odd time, the odd time now and again, yeah, yeah. I, I never really bought into all of that. I, again, I, I think because I, I've never had that fan's mentality, I used to look at people when they were talking to me in that way and going, or they'd met me um, chatting away as if normal, then they'd go away. Someone would tell them that I played football, they'd become a totally different person. They'd come over... <laughs> again and be like and and this people apologize to me all the time i'm so sorry i didn't know who you were why should why i'm just a bloke like i'm just a bloke same as you you know i do the same things at home as all of you do. i'm just a bloke and i've always kept that mentality i can never understand perhaps why people treat you differently um, and i think that grasp on reality has really helped me just cope with with what happened and still enjoy lots of other things away from football. I read some of the past inter- injury uh, interviews talking about your injury and, and talking about the, the bitterness and, and, and things like that. And it was, it was quite a arduous process, I, I suppose, in terms of, because we had, there were all sorts of things going on with West Ham um, suing the FA for compensation. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think you settled out of court, did you, with the FA? I think was one of the things that was what I read on the internet anyway. And I, <laughs> I tend to believe everything what's I read. Di- what's internet. difficult as well is that, is that, again, there was a few stories doing the rounds as to what was, what was going on. Um, and that was definitely the hardest part for me because it was like the, it was the, the sort of thought of, I'm trying to cope with having to the realization that I cannot play again. I don't care. Right now, the money is totally irrelevant, really, for me personally, because I'm just I'm losing the one thing I love doing the most that I am known for. That's what I'm great at, and I love doing it. Um, I'm losing that. So, you know, right now the money is is irrelevant. But then, obviously, you have the thought of will your family, your future, suddenly there's going to be nothing coming through the door money-wise and you live to a certain to a certain lifestyle. So then I started to panic a bit and then you have to go through all the processes, like you say, all the legal processes, and then trying to come out the other side of that without 
without feeling like because without feeling like you all you're after is money mm. well, I, no i'm trying to cope with not playing but i have to do this like this wouldn't be right for me to not try and look at every avenue um as to as to what can help me in the future and my family so then so then you you starting to you know i'm trying to deal with not playing again yet i'm feeling guilty that i'm having to ask all these questions and dig deeper into into you know where i can get sort of compensation for 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 having not played any anymore and the insurances that you have and it's just all of that was just such a a head mess that was the biggest thing i really struggled with because i i sort of um that thought of feeling guilty that you that you're having to chase after money when actually i'm just i'm devastated that i'm not playing I mean, did you feel supported at that point? I mean, if if I guess if West Ham are kind of pursuing their own things, are they, are they supporting you? Or have they kind of gone, right, we're looking after ourselves here and then you have to look after yourselves? I'm not really, I'm not thinking about blame. I'm just thinking about... You know, I think what's, what's, di- what's difficult, time. did people ring me up regularly to check I was okay and that I needed anything and that was... No, no. I just had to get on with it. Did the PFA ring me regularly to check I was okay or if I needed anything? No, there was one conversation. There was one email to say, if you need anything, we're here to help. So I I, I do feel like there could have been a lot more in terms of just that support of, even if it's just someone picking up the phone, to be honest, and just going, are you all right? Is there anything you need? Is there anything we can help with? But obviously, like you said, when, you, when, when West Ham are looking at... Um, sort of legal ramifications and, and I'm looking into insurance and just all of that, it does obviously get a bit messy because, you know, as as it's human nature with a lot of companies that don't want to have to pay pay money that they don't want. And I think that well certainly West Ham and the FA had something that went on for quite a long a long time. I don't know what what got uh what, what the outcome was. Um but these things don't just happen overnight in terms of the uh, what the incident as well of the of the, of the tackle because again that that was the story and i'm assuming it, the original cap you broke your leg through or your ankle through sean wright phillips tackle yeah, yeah so how do you view that now is that oh well that's that that's interesting because every especially west ham fans are really angry about it and everybody's angry about it except me <laughs> because because I I can watch football every weekend and there's tackles going, flying in, a player's inches from hurting themselves, you know, and so... I mean, I'm guessing Joseph Safri could have done that to anyone at any point in any training session. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. But it's just England was so intense, the training anyway. Everyone's trying to impress. Um, And, you know, it's a training ground incident where... You know, hundred times, you know, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, the tackle—it just, I just get up and run off, and it's fine. It just so happened the way that I, the way that my ankle, the position that my ankle was in, anyway, and especially the way I broke it was so unusual that that's what caused the big, the big problem. But people go, "Well, you must hate Sean Wright Phillips. You must blame him for this." And I go, "No, because there's tackles all the time." Do you know what I mean? If you if Cantonar Kung Fu kicked me, then it's different. But <laughs> you know, it's it's um, it's I I I don't I don't certainly don't use any energy up in trying to place blame because you can break your ankle at any point during training and certain tackles and 
I was just very, very unlucky. Not only to break my ankle, but in the manner and the way I broke it was really, really unlucky. Did you have you spoken much to him? I, mean, I guess you wouldn't really. You know, well, why would you necessarily speak to Sean Wright Phillips now? I guess. But yeah, like, exactly. But, and, yeah. but also, enough after the incident, did no, I hadn't, I hadn't, I haven't spoken to him. No, no, not since that day. Um, and the th- the thing that still surprised me now is how you got back to such a good level after after the ankle kind of recovered, mm. and then it was more of an issue the following season, wasn't it? What? what well, I mean, it took me so long to get back. 15 months it took me to get back and I had to have another operation in between that anyway and even though I got back I was by no means the same player you did really well though I did really well yeah I did really really well um considering the attributes that it had taken away from me so it had taken my jump away from me which was one of my best assets because I was I was tall anyway and strong but I could really leap I had a great leap it was your right rank right ankle. It was ankle, my left left ankle. Ankle, yeah, which I jumped off. So then suddenly I couldn't jump the same anymore. I had to jump off my weaker right side or double footed, which is rubbish. <laughs> um, and probably the biggest attribute I ever had was that I could hit the ball equally with both feet. You know, so that was my biggest attribute. And suddenly I couldn't. My left foot was useless, pretty much. Couldn't strike it because I couldn't point my foot enough. So everything had to be curled. If I got in on goal, I couldn't just lash at it, which I had done for years previous. I had to manufacture something or side foot it or curl it or something like that. So again, that had taken something away. But obviously, I was older, I was wiser, I'd learned the game, I'd learned what I was good at, and I could still, I could still certainly, you know, get to a really, really high level. Well, to get to still get back into the England squad and. Play. I mean, that was when you was that when you got your cap. Yes, it was after your injury. So, yeah, and then I did the next preseason. Felt amazing. Got even better because what people maybe don't see, well, people don't see, is the work that has to go in just to get out on the training pitch every day at West Ham. I still speak to some of the fitness coaches who were like, like I was outside before they were even out setting up their cones. I was already out warming up. I had to go out and do a warm up. Go back in to get my ankle mobilized before I then went out with the players. It was just, it was ridiculous just for a training session. Wow. And that would happen every single day. And the same with, um, you know, and then match. So I was, I was constant and, and that got better and better and better as that time went on in the preseason. I felt better. I didn't have to do as much. I was feeling much better. And then just suddenly out of the blue, that was just, I just felt a tiny little twinge um, when I was doing like a straight line run during the game. And then from then on, it just grew a tiny, tiny little bit more. And then in one of the training sessions, about eight games in, that was it. It just locked and that was it. So you have the, the joint itself? The joint locked. itself was just massively arthritic. So even though I was feeling better because I was on ridiculous anti-inflams as well, <laughs> and I'd had steroid injections and all of that. So I, that, that was probably masking... Yeah. the real pro- the real problem so then when it came to a head and and you know i got scanned and especially saw it and went wow it's it's just so arthritic and so a bit of bone had chipped off got into it got caught that's why i had to stop have an operation rehab get back the minute i started running again another bit chipped off back in for op- so it's just at that point it was like well look 
you've got an ankle like a 70 year old so <laughs> you're gonna have to retire so the fact it was arthritic came from the initial break did it yeah, yeah because of the the nature of the break i broke it right in the middle of the joint which is really unusual um and so it just damaged all my joint surface and there's still nothing yet medically that can be done about a really arthritic joint so i think players with the knee can they they somehow can manage it ledley king or you know the type of player that's was still able to carry on and get through his career with the ankle you're just putting so much force through on it the weight i was carrying as well <laughs> it was always going to be tough it was always going to be tough in fairness, lots of people go on about um, seeing you hit a ball and, and not seeing many players hit a ball that mm. true or as hard. Yeah, that, well, that is one of the, comp you know, when Greedy says about that and and other goalkeepers, Wardy as well, Darren Ward, he says similar. That's a real, I find that a real compliment. I love that, the thought that facing a shot is, you know, is because that's, that again, that was that's what my game was based yeah. on. I didn't, You didn't necessarily see me dink goalkeepers or... I just got in and thought, I'm hitting this as hard as I can. And you've got to hope you get in the way of it. Unless it's Man City, where you're just dinking it reverse over the goalkeeper. Yeah, true, from true, The most true. ridiculous there was, yeah, there angle was, there ever. Was, there was always a little bit of finesse. Ridiculous, a little bit of finesse. Um, I mean, was that a difficult debate with, over those times of, of, of I guess, beyond football, you know, looking after it and a joint so that you can still walk on it? when you're yeah, oh, that definitely. Yeah, yeah. six but, yeah I mean because even though I was training even when I once I stopped training because the ankle got locked locked up from then onwards it got severe pretty quick from the operations and anti-inflams and steroid and stuff like that when it was bad it was just like wake up it's going to take me 20 minutes to get downstairs because it needs to at least warm warm up to just you literally your ankle foot wouldn't move oh it's just so stiff just so clogged up with scar tissue and and fluid that i'm having to get slowly get it going take me about 20 minutes to get downstairs once i was going that was okay but say we went out just to the supermarket i'd have to stop halfway through and um and just have a sit down while the rest while the family carried on and finished the you just like I'm 25 years old. This is ridiculous. And then the same process the next day and the next day. And that, that is what's hard. That's what's, that's like mental torture. So, you know, I really have sympathy for anybody, anybody that suffers with any sort of injury or pain daily. I really have a sympathy for that because it is just, just grinds you down. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com slash on the ball and pay the postage of £4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener to On the Ball, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. 
Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to beer52.com slash on the ball to get your case free. And don't forget right now on the ball listeners get two extra free beers. How are you now? Great. You, you seem to move quite well. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, you're at the gym all the time. Yeah. But that's a definite, I mean, <laughs> you know. It's more muscle on your arms and your your, your calves, but, but <laughs> yeah, you, you, true, know, you yeah. do seem to be. And you played golf for a good period as well. And yeah, you still yeah. Play golf I think now, since though. well, as soon as I retired and I had the big operation to fuse my ankle, and that was in two thousand and nine, I've not had a day's pain. Not one day have I been in pain. Not one day have I woke up and not been able to just jump out of bed and walk totally normal, which I find staggering considering the pain and the discomfort I was in did you worry that that was ever gonna you'd ever feel like that <laughs> no well yeah exactly you think this pain could just go on forever sure you know but obviously luckily for me I was young enough the operation went really well they fused the joint which is where all the pain was coming from and you know I know that I do go to the gym and do bits but I generally don't push it and don't stress it too much because I know it's got to last me a long time and um it's just great to think that I can just do, I don't have to think about doing stuff. If I want to go out with the kids, kick a ball around, whatever, don't have to think about it. If I want to go and walk around the shops all day, I can do it and it's not an issue. It's just, that's quite incredible. So to fuse the joint, um, obviously you can still move your ankle, your your foot. So you've got, you've got so much movement in the rest of the joints around your foot and your sort of ankle that, they're basically yeah so so all that movement comes from there and then you compensate with your knee and your hip so i do get the odd back issue but yeah generally they just basically they shave your bone they take bone marrow out of your hip put it in between and they just screw it together and so it then acts like a broken bone so it just fuses like a like a bone would do so it's just yeah that's just solid and then the rest of the foot has to compensate well well i mean post operation you scored the overhead kick at yeah that was great and i read there was some lovely stuff that you spoke about at the time in terms of you um with one of your boys being in tears and yeah all that yeah sort of stuff yeah um, it was for, for a testimonial is that still one that, is there something it, quite special about honestly that? it is right up there with one of the best things i've ever done because <laughs> just from what i remember seeing it yeah just going wow <laughs> yeah yeah i think because Obviously, my kids hadn't got to see, even though they had, but he was very, very young, my my, my eldest, that when I was... Which he, he's 12 like? He's twelve now. Yeah. So he was... Only, Isaac? No, that's Ethan. Ethan. Yeah. Nice one. I was always going to get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Please put that in. Please <laughs> keep that in. Um, so he, um, he was one when I last played. And so, yeah, for, for them... So they, they just see me as dad. They don't see me as dad who played football and, you know sort of was on the telly and all of that so they don't really believe that I played what you played against Ronaldo and Rooney and yeah no you didn't did you no you didn't look at you you didn't <laughs> so I think then for them to go to a stadium and a testimony where the whole crowd is West Ham and we were at tents we were at Centre Parks the the night before we had been for a few days leading up and I'd been drinking till two in the morning that, that, water yeah obviously not um so yeah i was feeling rough i had a bad back at the time i said to i said to Gemma, i said i could do without this to be honest i really like nobs but i could do without this i said i'm gonna go down there 
I'll be on the bench, like, I'm going to look rubbish. I'm look at the state of me, I'm going to look rubbish in a kit. It's on telly. I'm just going to sit there. Bellamy's going to play. Di Canio, it's going to be... I said, I can't read. And she went, no, come on, look. If it was you, if you were Nope, you would, you would want people to turn up, celebrate him. Let's make the effort. The kids will love it. So I was like, okay, all right, well... So we went down and we only just made, the traffic was bad. I only just made, I was on the bench, obviously, to come on in the second half. How long did you think you were going to play for? I don't know. I I, I knew I wasn't going to get that long because they were swapping over quite a a few and they had other people. um, They had so many players there to play. So I thought I'm only going to get 10, 15, 20 minutes if I'm lucky. So then to then for that to happen and the noise that that created in the stadium, the whole stadium singing my name, obviously was way too much for my eldest to, so that was the realization, wow, this is what he did. All these people are singing his name, it was just such a, that's a, such a nice feeling for me to have, that he's seen that and they both understand what I did, even if it's just for a, for, for a couple of minutes in that stadium, that, that to me is like a lovely bit of closure to my whole career as such. Um, yeah, so it's great. It's great always looking back on that, actually. But it was an overhead kick as well. I mean, I know, it, you could have got one in off your ass. I, I mean, it would have been one thing, but to, to do that. I know, can, I know. Can, can you even believe you got up, you know, <laughs> you physically just, pulled it off? What's funny, right, is if, if, me and, if me and you went outside now and you said just do an overhead, I could do it so easily because I've just, I've always practiced it. I've always done it when I was young and all through playing career. I could always do it. So that was just, that was as easy as, I don't know, scoring a, a different type of volley to me. But it just so happened that it's funny when you're like three stone overweight, <laughs> it just looks funnier, <laughs> doesn't it? When, when you, when it, when you achieve it. So, and, um, and yeah, to sort of have a laugh about it hurting me and the amount of messages I got and, um, sort of videos of, you know, setting off tsunamis and all of the and earthquakes <laughs> and volcanoes and that oh it's just yeah it was great actually was that the last goal scored at upton park was that the last goal in that game wasn't it um no because i then about two minutes later i scored a tap in oh did you yeah yeah oh, eventually went, event, no it went eventually I didn't even know you got a brace i don't yeah, think no, exactly <laughs> i turned up for 20 minutes got two goals and walked off yeah it was great now they, they ended up being a penalty shootout as well at the end so you got uh, a hat trick so effectively i got a hat trick yeah i don't I don't like to go on about it, but no, but yeah, should. that's 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 just so nice to have that. And again, that's something that was on telly, so it's it's something I, I've been able to keep and can look at. And it's great. And um, did you sense a lot of what you said about all the messages you got? You must have sent a, sensed a lot of warmth because there would be a lot of people who would have obviously been waiting for you to break through at England, who would have seen the potential you had and would have just gone, "Oh, it's such a shame what happened to Dean." <laughs> yeah. But then to have that moment, you probably sensed a probably the nation of football fans just sort of going oh Dean Ashton <laughs> yeah I guess so and it, and it's that sort of you when you when you retire you get forgotten you you do so then it's another little mo who doesn't like a bit of um attention and, and and for people to talk about you in a nice way so that's great but then you get the other side of it then you know the other the downside like people of, turning up in your living room for an hour <laughs> no but the downside of of you know, this is what I was capable of and I couldn't carry it. You know, so you, it, there's that real double-edged sword of that's such an amazing moment and it's great and I love people tell, talking to me about it and saying, you know, what a player you would have been, you know, but that's hard to take. 
that's always hard to take to say what what player you would have been because then it's then I have to think about well yeah what a player I would have been what I could have so there's always that to deal with but um I look at it more that a big fat lad got up and did an over a kick and that's just funny <laughs> Can I ask what, what you weighed then at the time? You said you were three stone. I was 18 stone. 18 stone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I was quite big as a player. I was going to say, what would you have been when you were playing though? Just you? under 15. Yeah. Which is heavy for, if you to go through the Premier League now, there wouldn't be many players that are that, that, are that heavy. But I'm, I'm, I was I was cut at that point. I was in great shape when I was just below 15. But I've just always been big. You are on a proper... Um, uh, fitness kick, aren't you? This, you know, there's lots of lots of gym work going on. Yeah, it's, that- it's not just it's not just the gym. I am trying to be just better anyway. I've always been terrible. Even when I was playing, I was terrible. Diet, um, nutrition, all of that, terrible. And I've always had sweet tooth. Yeah, terrible sweet tooth. And so I've just re- and, and I've always I have probably the last couple of years suffered with a bit of acid reflux which i know a lot of it's good line a lot, a lot of people gonna will, clip that out. a lot of, lot of people will uh will will obviously suffer with as well and i i just got a bit sick of especially every christmas i get to the point where i have to sleep sat up because i'm that full and i'm that the acid is that bad i'm like what am i doing to myself and so i the problem is this is what i'm like i'm very i'm very addictive to once i put my mind to something then I go overboard almost in how strict I am with it. So at the moment it is, right, I want to get fit. I want to eat better. So I'm really on it and I'm there as much as I can at the gym. I'm eating as well as I can, feel great. You know, clothes are fitting me a bit better. I can open, almost open the second half of my wardrobe door. <laughs> what's in the why, What's in the second well, half of... clothes that don't fit me because okay. my weight fluctuates that much. I mean, it must be quite tricky because I guess it's like a lot of people may say, right, I'm going to get into running or I'm going to do this. I mean, it's not, I, I, I don't know. Could you, I'm assuming you couldn't just go for a well, marathon. No, I do. I to, do. Or? I do a little bit on the treadmill, but that's only because it doesn't take that much out of my ankle. But yeah, I just, that's, again, that's, that's frustrating is I would do a sport. I'd play tennis. I'd play squash. I would play five a side with mates. I would do all loads of sports that would give me that fitness and activity I can't do any of that. So I can play golf, but that's not really going to get you fit. So if I'm going to actually keep in shape and, you know, lose a bit of weight, I have to actually go to the gym. And But again, once I get into it, I then want to see, want to see a bit of muscle and... <laughs> but that's, Bodybuilding, but I, can, I can go big really easily. The problem... But I don't want to be big. I want to be slim and lean, but I just go big. <laughs> Ah, problem, problem. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, do you play much golf now? I mean, because you were we were proper into the golf at one point, weren't you? In no, I am. Place. I am very, very into it. But with the weather that we've had recently and obviously more focused on the gym. But the minute the weather picks up, I'll, I'll probably, that's the thing, I'll probably can the gym and start playing golf and then becomes bacon rolls and beers afterwards. And <laughs> <laughs> Could you coach golf? No, no I can barely sort it out myself to be honest let alone coach anyone else would you ever go into coaching in football again i won't i certainly won't rule it out i just i'm not sure i've got that 
real enthusiasm for the tactical and the session side of it. I love the thought of taking players in and being able, especially forwards, looking at them, being able to know exactly what they're doing wrong and what they can, and analysing that. But the day-to-day, you know, doing sessions, um, being enthusiastic, I think I would just struggle with that. And I did when I went into Norwich and did some coaching. I just, I was thinking I should still be playing. So maybe I think it'd be interesting to see what I'm like once I get to sort of, you know, 40, 40 and get into yeah, my 40s, gonna... whether I think, I don't think like that anymore. And I, I do really sort of enjoy the coaching. You have to remind, do you have to remind yourself how young you are? Yeah, sometimes? <laughs> yeah I do, yeah. I imagine that. Well, the thing is I look old anyway i always and like have john ruddy i always so have it's a, yeah it's a problem yeah and yeah true and um i think as well people associate retirement with 35 years old so that's 12 years ago people think i'm 45 you know so it's um i do have to remind myself that i'm just a spring also. chicken <laughs> um and punditry is obviously great mm. it's dead easy in it um Oh, that's a nasty question. Yeah, is it easy? It's easy in a sense that I'd like to think I know football, so I'm just talking about what I know. But it's so there's so much more involved than you ever think. You think that you just rock up and talk about football, but there's not. The amount of hours of research and you know, I do now actually admire the media, which you don't as a player. You just think they're like, you, just think, you just think there are a load of plums that are getting on your nerves but actually there oh i was going to ask you that actually what you were like being interviewed as a player i was robotic if someone rocked up you know the media officer said dean can you go and do this hour chat with this journal who's going to rock up at your house mm. i wouldn't mind that I, no i wouldn't i wouldn't be like no nah, i can't be bought I'd, I'd be like all right that's fine but i was mr robotic you would never get an answer from me that's worth writing to be honest which most players are like. I think it's hard for people to interview players because it's hardly any of them that would say anything. And I would have been in that category. I would have been just a robot. Would that have been? Why would that have been? For sort of fear of saying anything that would get taken out of context. Yeah, or? yeah. Just, I just think it wouldn't be worth the hassle to have said something out of con- you know that could be taken out of context. So I'd rather just stick to my football doing writing the headlines as such. Dean, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure myself.